My name is Jeff Bennett. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Harbor. And welcome to our Harbor Online community. Great to see you this morning. And hopefully we can connect with you during the week. And to each of you here, welcome as well. And hopefully I can get to welcome you out the door personally uh, this morning. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, and so I'll give you an opportunity to open up your Bibles or turn them on. I sure hope you have them with you. Let me tell you about this scripture this morning. I think after we read it, there will not be a mad rush to underline large portions of it. You probably, after we read it, will not think in your head, oh, next significant event in my life, I'd like to have this scripture read. Wedding, funeral, graduation. It's probably not going to make your top 10 list of favorite scriptures. And here's why, because it's an introduction. And normally when you're reading a book, <laughs> sometimes we just even skip the introduction. We're like, oh no, we don't need the introduction. Let's just get to the good stuff. Let's just get to the content. And so that's what we have this morning. First four books of Luke is an introduction. But let me tell you what you learn in an introduction. You learn something about what the author values. You learn something about what the author believes. He's introducing it to us. He's telling us his purpose, why he wrote, and what he believes about certain things. And so if you're here this morning, as you see our Christmas series is entitled, Behold, if you would like to, if you in your heart would say, I'd like to see more of Jesus, I'd like to know more of Jesus, the author's introduction this morning gives us a roadmap for how he believes that actually happens. How do we behold more of Jesus? We're going to read that this morning. If you're in a spot where you feel like maybe you have some doubts in your faith, you're new in your faith journey or something else has come along and you're wishing your foundation was a little bit firmer, what we're going to read this morning, this, the author is saying, here's how you can have more certainty. Here's how you can know more for sure. And then this morning, if you are seeking to grow in your faith, to move forward in your spiritual journey, if you're looking for a deeper communion with Christ, as we will mark at the end of the celebration, the author in this introduction tells us what he believes about how that actually happens, how we grow in our faith, how we connect with Christ, how we commune with him more. All of that we find in these words. So, sure hope you've got your Bibles with you. I say that every week, and it really is my heart that we could look together in the Scriptures and just learn uh, from these authors. So, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, let me read them. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. But I don't think there's a huge rush to Instagram right now to post these verses. But let me just give a little background. This is Dr. Luke. He's a medical doctor. He is writing this book of Luke. And he, this is his first volume. He also writes a second volume called the Book of Acts. In total, Luke writes two books of the New Testament. And we often think of Paul as the primary author of the New Testament. Paul wrote 13 books in the New Testament for a total of 32,000 words. 
Paul has a lot of the New Testament. But Luke, who we read from this morning, writes two books, only two, but he has 38,000 words. We have more from Luke in the New Testament than we do from Paul. And here we read that Luke is writing to a man. Did you catch his name? Theopolis, the most excellent Theopolis. Probably what that means is he's some sort of Roman government official, most excellent, probably implies that he's got some uh, measure of wealth. And we see there at the end of verse 4, he's been taught some things, but he doesn't know a whole lot. And so Luke is probably talking to a man who's, you know, Roman official, wealthy, either a spiritual seeker, someone who's trying to figure out Jesus, or a new believer just early on in his journey. And Luke wants him to know, he's got some information, but Luke wants him to know more truth. And then you see his purpose statement in verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke wants Theopolis to know for sure, to be certain. And if you're someone who's a spiritual seeker this morning, here's the good news. Luke does not just say to Theopolis, hey, Theopolis, you're searching for Jesus. Just take a blind leap of faith. Just trust in Jesus and have faith. Now, I'm not diminishing faith, but Luke does not write that. It would be a much shorter, no, it would be a much shorter book, wouldn't it? Greetings, Theopolis. Take a leap of faith. Blessings, Luke. That's not what he does. He he says, now, I'm going to write all of these words, 38,000 words, Theopolis, so that you can know truth so that you can understand more about Jesus. Here's the other thing. If you're new in your faith or, or having doubts about your faith, Luke does not just say to Theopolis, oh, you, you, you're, you're doubting, you have, you, know, you have some questions, just pray and ask God to reveal things to you. Now, again, I'm not diminishing faith or prayer, but those aren't the answers Luke gives. He says, Theopolis, if you want to have a firmer foundation, here's what I've done. I've written all of these words for you, this entire book, so that you can know for sure the certainty of what you have been taught. So here's what Luke believes. Here's what he believes that we're picking up in the introduction. In order to have a firm foundation for our faith, we need information, we need content, we need truth. And so Luke says, I'm going to write all these words, Theopolis, so that you can know about Jesus and his life and all that happened to him. And as you know more of this information, your certainty will increase. Luke is trying to take him deeper in his knowledge. Now, he's still got to accept it, receive it, and act upon it. But Luke's strategy to both deepen his faith and to grow him spiritually is more truth about the life of Jesus. Now, yes, I agree that the Holy Spirit uses, the Holy Spirit's the one who opens our eyes and ultimately reveals Christ to us, but it's oftentimes the Holy Spirit uses the truth and the life of Jesus to help us come to salvation. The Holy Spirit doesn't replace These great words, the Holy Spirit empowers and uses these words. And that's Luke's heart in this this gospel. He's trying to persuade Theopolis to believe in the gospel. He's trying to say, here's God's plan of salvation through Christ. And so we begin a series today, both a Christmas series and a series through the entire gospel of Luke to see how Theopolis, or see how Luke begins to move Theopolis along a journey to believe in Jesus. 
But it's not just information. It's not just content Luke wants to give. And let me just show you one other verse, and this is important even as we move towards communion at the end of our time. You'll see it on the side screens. It's 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Here's what Paul writes. And we, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Just sort of highlighted two words there you see on the side screens. The one is, Paul is saying, we contemplate the Lord. We behold the Lord. We look at Jesus. That is what we do. And then what is the result of that? As we look in and learn more about Jesus, what happens? We are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. This is what Paul says. If we behold Jesus, if we look at Jesus, and understand more of him. The result of that is transformation, ongoing transformation, ever-increasing likeness of who Jesus is. So if you want to grow spiritually today, if you want to be more like Jesus, if you want to change, here's the method. We look in and we see all who Jesus was and all that he did, and God works through that to transform us. And that's our hope for the Christmas series that we would contemplate Jesus, that we would behold him, and thus we would be transformed. So that's the purpose of why Luke writes, that we would know for sure, that we would have certainty, and our faith is built on truth, and thus we are transformed. But I also just this morning want to give two reasons, since we're starting a series, two reasons on why we can have confidence in what Luke has written here two reasons why we can have confidence in Luke, or you could say it broadly, even two reasons why we can have confidence in the Bible. And this is so important as we begin this journey. And if some of you are here, uh, maybe a little bit skeptical or thinking through the Christian faith, these are very helpful things for you as we look at what Luke did. Look down there to verse, or verse 3. Here's what Luke says. With this in mind, I myself carefully investigated everything. So here's the first reason we can have confidence in what Luke has done. He has done careful research. Careful research. That's what he tells us there. He, he, the first word in the NIV says, many, many have undertaken already to write an account. So Luke is probably writing this. Jesus dies and is resurrected probably AD 30. Then Luke is writing this probably about AD 60. He's come, traveled with Paul at the end of Paul's third missionary journey, arrives in Jerusalem. Paul is arrested, spends two years in jail. And Luke then, if he's there with Paul, which seems the book of Acts tells us, he's there in Jerusalem as a visitor for the first time with Paul. Paul's in jail. He's got time on his hands. And what does he do? He decides he's going to read some of the accounts that have already been written about the life of Jesus just 30 years, this is 30 years after Jesus' life. You imagine a lot of people are saying, hey, we got to write some of this stuff down. And so different people are beginning and are writing down already many, Luke says. And then also Luke is in Jerusalem. He gets to talk to the eyewitnesses. He says that there. There's many eyewitnesses who were still alive and saw Jesus and knew Jesus and saw his miracles. And so there he is. He probably, to some degree, and it's hard to know Matthew and Mark when they were written. John is the fourth gospel, but it's hard to know which Matthew, Mark, Luke were written first. But he certainly would have an opportunity to interact with Matthew, certainly with Mark. Mark traveled with Paul as well. And he, if he didn't read what they wrote, then he could certainly talk to them. But think of the other interviews Luke could do. 
Imagine the early church there in Jerusalem, you know, in Acts 2, where 3,000 believe in one day. Well, he's in Jerusalem. There's still some of those there on the first day. Imagine interviewing them. Imagine getting together the disciples. Just, just tell me all the stories about Jesus. Start with the resurrection and just work your way backwards. And so Luke gets to sit with uh, some of the disciples more than likely. Probably sits with Mary, mother of Jesus, and talks to her. He would have had access to the 70 followers that Jesus sent out in Luke 10. He's got the 120 believers who were there on the day of Pentecost. He's got the 500 who saw Jesus in Galilee. He's got the women who ministered alongside Jesus. So many different people who would have vivid memories of Jesus, what Jesus said and what he did. And Luke gets to go and interview them and read what has already been written. And here's what Luke is saying, and we can be thankful for. He's a good historian. He writes, a fair, he writes a accurate account of what happened. This is fact. It's not fiction. It's not something that's fanciful and made up. Luke knew the difference between fact and fiction. The original readers would have known the difference between fact and fiction. And this is how we get ancient history. Someone like Luke goes, interviews the eyewitnesses, reads other accounts, and compiles this great account for us, this great narrative. Luke is doing exactly what we would have liked to have done. Wouldn't you have liked, you know, you know, 80, 30, 80, 60, you're living somewhere in the world, you hear about Jesus, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to meet these people. I'm going to have these interviews. Luke never got to meet Jesus himself, never saw Jesus, but he gets to do for us what we would have loved to do for ourselves, to go and hear from the eyewitnesses and hear the stories and come to trust in them, to know they are true and put his faith in Christ and want others to follow along. Sometimes we hear this phrase. I don't know if you've ever heard this. People say, well, I just don't believe in the Bible. Maybe you've said that as well. Maybe you would be there today, even watching online when we say that phrase, it can imply that the Bible is a singular book that we do not believe in. But actually, the Bible is more like a library of books. We call this the book of Luke. And so in the Bible, there's actually 66 books, 40 writers written over 1,500 years. Two of those are written by Dr. Luke that we have today. And so if you might say to me afterwards, well, I just don't believe in the Bible, I might respond this way, why don't you like Luke? He's done a nice job here for us, right? He's gone to Jerusalem, he spent two years, he read, he interviewed the witnesses, what do you have against Luke? He, he's, he's done really credible work, and he wrote this down, sent it to Theopolis, Theopolis got it, and he believed it was true. He looked at it and said, this is a credible account. You know how we know that is because he said, guys, we got to save this. This is really good. Someone should copy this. Someone should pass this around. Other people should read it as well. And that's how the copies were passed along. And we have this wonderful tradition in Canada where we give Christmas cards to each other. Some of you are doing that now. Some of you will receive Christmas cards. Uh, I, I, would, I would probably guess that not many of you have the Christmas cards that you received last year. You know, you appreciate getting them, you hang them up, you put them on a tree, but probably for the most part, after you get them, you put them in the recycling, right? Come the new year, they go in the recycling. Nothing the matter with that, but uh, that's just sort of the way it operates. But I would imagine this, that there's maybe one or two Christmas cards 
that you saved, that you really liked. You're like, this one was special to me. It was significant. It had a picture on it. I want to save that because it matters. Why do we still have Luke today? Is because as it got passed around, the early eyewitnesses said, this is really a good account. This is an excellent account. We need to save it. We need to copy it. We need to guard it. We need to protect it. And so that's how we have Luke today. And so someone says, well, I don't believe in the Bible. I'd say, well, what do you have against Luke? You know, or what do you have against Matthew and Mark and John and Peter and Jude and James and Paul who all followed similar patterns to arrive at the Scriptures? But we're just talking about Luke this morning, but all the other authors have the same, uh, you could use the same argument. Uh, I've been reading this book. You'll see it on the side screens here. Uh, I thought it was going to be such a nice, easy, light read. Where to start with Islam? Doesn't it sound so nice and easy and light? It got quite dense, and so I've sort of slowed down in it. But uh, he makes a very interesting comparison that I think is helpful for us to understand this point as we think about Islam. We know that the Quran and the Bible do not teach the same things have some of the same characters in them, but what the Quran records about Jesus and some of the prophets is different than what the Bible records. In fact, there is an enormous difference. You cannot believe in one without disbelieving the others. Both Muslims and Christians would agree with my point there. Oftentimes, though, when you talk to a Muslim, they may say this, well, we believe in all of the prophets, meaning all the ones that are mentioned in the scriptures, but then also Muhammad as the last one. We believe in all of the prophets together. But yet, he makes a great point in this, as they're saying, you know, all the prophets, so therefore, they, are, they have a superior view. Actually, here's what Islam is. Islam believes in one prophet, one man, who wrote about all the other prophets. One man, who, Muhammad, who interpreted and wrote about all the other biblical prophets. In Christianity, we actually believe in all the prophets. All 40 of them who wrote 66 books over 1,500 years, all who have unity and thought. And so the comparison we would make or what we might say to someone who was following Islam is actually we believe in all of the prophets and you believe in the one that has spoken differently than all of the rest. We believe in them all. You just believe in one. The best response to a Muslim or to anyone else would be, would you like to read the prophets together? If you believe in them, let's read them. Let's read the Torah, the prophets, the Psalms, the Gospels, the letters. If you believe in them, let's come and read them together and see the claims that are there. We would invite anyone to that. And that's why Luke wrote. That's why he did this careful research so that we would understand all, all about Jesus so we could investigate that for ourselves. So that's the first reason. Why can we have confidence in Luke? Careful research. Here's the second reason. He, Luke writes, he wrote an orderly account for you. You see that there in the introduction. So I simply called this thorough organization. Luke has organized this gospel really well. And this is what I love about the four gospels. If you read Mark, who's probably written by Peter, and you know some of Peter's personality, very loud, spontaneous, let's go, guys. Mark has that feel to it. If you read the book of Mark, Peter's got the word immediately in there all the time. It's like immediately, immediately, immediately. It's like, Peter, you're in a, in a rush. But that was his personality. And he's a storyteller, and he's moving us through. John, who writes the last one, John is so much more philosophical. 
John is so much more uh, thoughtful in his response as he writes. And if you read the opening of John, it's so different than the other three Gospels. But Luke, he's the investigative reporter. He's, got, he's a doctor, so he's got this gift of observation. Luke notices things in his Gospel that no one else, that everyone else seems to overlook. No one writes down. He's got all of these little, little details for us. Luke is the most complete account of Jesus' life. It is also the longest book in the New Testament. Luke has got the birth of John the Baptist. He's got the infancy of Jesus. He's got the first Christmas carols, the carol of Mary and Zechariah and Simeon and the angels. We wouldn't have known any of these things unless Luke had gone and investigated them and probably went and interviewed Mary, mother of Jesus. That's how he knows all of these things. Luke has got two great parables and more, but two that we love, the Good Samaritan. You know that parable? Luke has recorded that for us. He's also got the, the parable of the prodigal son, the older brother or the younger brother who goes out and the older brother who we never know whether he'll come in to enjoy the father's grace and love. Luke has got Jesus on the road to Emmaus. He's got these great portraits of the women who follow Jesus. He's got Mary and Martha. Luke shows us more than any other gospel, Jesus praying. And he talks more about money than any other gospel, probably because Theopolis was wealthy, so he kept talking about money to him. And Luke does this comprehensive plan to show us, to connect the dots, to show us God's plan and how, Christ, how God, through Christ, is providing salvation for us. And so what we begin today is our Christmas series, Behold, but then come March, we will return to the book of Luke for the whole rest of the year and walk through this story. It's so orderly, it's so well put together, it's so logical, you will just enjoy seeing how Luke unfolds the story of Jesus. Now, I don't think any of you are thinking this, but, but uh, just in case someone might ask you, oh, a whole year in the book of Luke, isn't that an overemphasis on Jesus? And we could never overemphasize Jesus enough, but I understand uh, the question. You'll see on the side screens uh, the last 12 series we've done at Harbor. You can see them all up there. There's a nice blend there, I think, between narrative and uh, more, the you know, more um, the doctrinal books. There's a good blend between Old and New Testament. But what you'll notice on there is for the last two years, we have not taught, other than that little bit there, number seven, from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus about worry, I have not taught at all on the life of Jesus the last two years. That has been purposeful. Now, none of you have noticed me. Please don't quote me on that. Did you know our pastor never taught on the life of Jesus for the last two years? That would be, that would be true. None of you noticed? So good, I'm safe. But uh, we're going to make up for lost time now. We're going to make up for lost time and spend this next year looking at the book of Luke. Sometimes when we do the stories of Jesus, we can do them in disconnected ways. We, we just know one story or another story, and there's nothing the matter with that. But this journey allows us to see how Luke starts with Theopolis and how slowly over time he's building some ideas about Jesus. And, and he's so thoroughly organized it. He's got all these little different parts within the book, and we'll see all of those play out. There's actually nine mini-series. It's not a year in the one series, behold. It's it's nine mini-series all the way through, all different ideas that Luke is trying to build so that we would understand and see who Jesus is. That is our journey, that we would look in and see Christ. 
understand how Luke wanted Theopolis to know him and that we would see that same journey. We would come to know Jesus more, to behold him and be transformed in him. So why can we have confidence in Luke? Why can we have confidence in the Bible? Two reasons. One is Luke has done careful research. And number two, he's thoroughly organized it for us. We will come to appreciate that over the next season of time. Luke does a wonderful thing here. He's a medical doctor, but he's got a pastoral's heart, pastor's heart. He writes 38,000 words to one man so that he may help this man understand the message of Jesus. And God uses Luke's work for our benefit and for the benefit of millions of people throughout the ages who have read Luke, beheld Jesus, and been transformed. But here's the interesting thing. We never know what happens to Theopolis. We don't know. Does he actually believe? We, we don't know. Does he actually come to a spot where he can say, I know for sure I'm in right relationship with God? We don't know the answer to that question for him. But as I said when we did the baptism, we can know for sure today. You can know for sure whether you are in right relationship with God. We're not sure in Theopolis, but all of us can leave here with great certainty that we are in right relationship with God. And it's not because of your outstanding performance. If, if our assurance and certainty was based on our performance, we would never have any assurance because we all know we fall short. We all know we don't live up to God's standard. We all know our faith is not as great as it should be. Our performance and our spiritual performance could never give us assurance. And then at times, at times when we know that's not the case, we could also look for uh, an emotional experience. You know, I just want to feel closer to God, and so I want to do this or experience that. And here's what you know. If you go down that road, you, you try that. Well, that can be good for a moment, but it doesn't last either. There's no certainty there. So it's our performance or our feelings will never give us assurance. The only way to know for sure is to look to Jesus, to trust in him, to turn from our sin and believe what the gospel says about him. What Luke has written is written on reliable history. And what he records is that Christ died and rose again so that our sins might be forgiven, so that we might be in right relationship with God. It's not how strong our faith is, it's what the object of our faith is. And the object of our faith is Christ. And so this morning, if you're watching online, as you are here today and you have never put your trust in him, wouldn't now you do that? Wouldn't now you just turn from your sin, recognize Christ as Lord and trust in him, receive his forgiveness, receive the new life and the hope that he wants to offer. And then I know for many others of you, you have trusted in Christ. You are sure but I want to increase your assurance today. And how can we know for sure it's marked by this communion table, what Christ did for us on the cross, his broken body, his spilled blood. And so we come to communion to behold Christ on the cross, recognizing there he bought the pardon for our sin. Our sin is forgiven and we are in right relationship with God. I so love how Luke records this. 
How, how do, you know, Luke does this whole gospel. He doesn't say you want to get right with God. Here's all the things you, want to, you have to do. Here's Luke's strategy. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for you. And Luke rests in that. So we're going to come to this communion table in a moment. But let me remind you this. When we take these elements, Christ is with us in a special way. He is more present in communion. It's a special time. He wants to dwell with us to have, it's called the communion table because Christ wants to have a deeper, special communion with us. This is a true sharing of our relationship with Christ. We should look at this and say, oh, praise God that we get to do communion today because I need to draw close to Christ and this is a means that he has provided for that. So our band is going to come there, come now. They're going to lead us in a song this morning. And as the song is sung, we will remain seated, but would you just commune with Christ? For those of you watching at home now or at a later time, don't miss these moments. Enjoy the song. Let Christ speak to your heart today. After the, after the band has led us in this song of worship, two of our elders will come, they'll read scripture, they'll pray, then I will return here and we will take the elements together. If you've trusted in Christ, then this time is for you. And at some point during the song, just reach under your chair, or you got them when you came in. If you didn't get them when you came in, you could slip out quietly and pick up the little cups there. Have those propped open and ready, and then after the song and the reading, I'll be back to lead us in the taking of the, the elements. Let's worship together now.